This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We have wrapped up the 2015 minor league season. How did this happen? What happened here? (laughs) What is going on? Time passed. I'm so as, confused. As it does. It does, as it tends to do. As time as tends, tends to do. Welcome in, everybody. It's the 26th edition of Minor League Baseball's The Show Before the Show podcast. I'm Tyler Ron. He's Sam Dykstra. It's, uh, I would imagine, a, a quieter day around the office today, Sam. Yeah, yeah. We're just kind of looking around after, you know, a summer of being frantic and preparing for things and trying to get something ready for every night. Now we're just tired. We said time keeps moving, but it feels like it's kind of stopped. Yeah. At least in the minor league world. Everything, there there are no games left. There is nothing, you know, we, we turn our attention to the majors. But uh, for our purposes, the, uh, the the summer is officially over. Once we get right to the end of it, then all of a sudden everything's just done. It just, it all comes to a screeching halt. Yeah, and, and it's, uh, not, it's not even breaks, really. It's not like you kind of ease into it. It literally yeah. freezes. It's um, all one big climax and then everything just shuts off so or at least for the next few weeks then we got the arizona fall league starting up very soon uh baseball never stops that should be the motto of this podcast as we've talked about (laughs) so often over the last few weeks but welcome in it is the 26th episode of the show before the show i'm tyler he's sam you can find us on itunes on milv.com you can uh, stop on over on itunes and give us a rating a review and a subscription there if you would so like we are also on uh, the old social media machines uh sam is at sam dykes or mil I am at Tyler Mon, and you can follow Minor League Baseball all over social media at MILB. And uh, so with that, our big topic of the day, the AAA National Championship game last night, the Fresno Grizzlies, the AAA affiliate of the Houston Astros, are your national champions with a 7 to nothing dominant victory over the Columbus Clippers last night. And uh, there are a lot of storylines in this game. And, you know, I mean, congratulations to the Grizzlies. More congratulations to me for picking the Grizzlies. I think that's oh, really man. the big story that comes out of this, obviously. I wanted so. to see how long it was going to take. I should have started, started a clock. We're, uh, we're six minutes in on the phone call, and I think we were just talking amongst ourselves for, like, the first four. So I think it took me, like, 90 seconds. Okay, so um, my over-under of two and a half minutes. Yeah, you definitely, yep. you definitely won if you pick the under. Uh, but, no, congratulations to the Grizzlies, a fantastic organization top to bottom. And last night, I mean, jumped out to a big early lead, got a huge pitching performance. Uh, that's as dominant a win as you're going to see in a game like that. And an extremely talented roster. They rolled through the PCL this season. And uh, to get the game five win in, in the PCL finals and then roll it over to, uh, to a championship game victory is pretty impressive. And a big congratulations to Fresno. Yeah, and as you were kind of saying, it was a, a dominant victory. You look at the score, seven nothing. You think, well, that wasn't much of a game. But if you were watching it, you know, just the dominance shown by Chris Davinsky on the mound in his first AAA start had a, you know, a couple appearances at AAA before that, but this was his first start getting the ball. Um, you know, we'll talk with uh, our reporter who was on the scene there, Kelsey Hennigan, about him later. But um, you know, this if. If you're going to see a lopsided affair, you want it to be a do- dominant one in a championship game like this, one you can really sink your teeth into. And with the way Davinsky pitched, you know, it really was something to watch and was exciting to see. 
The thing that's so cool about Fresno is throughout the entirety of this season, it seems like this was the ultimate goal. They wanted to win the PCL. They wanted to have the, the success of, of a good regular season, a good playoff run of the PCL. But you got the impression from Fresno that it all felt legitimized by winning the national championship. And we've talked about, I mean, people kind of have their, their various opinions about what the AAA national championship means, especially because it's just one game and all that kind of stuff. But it is, it is something for these guys to hang their hats on and to go out and get such a dominant performance on the mound from a guy who was ranked as the number 18 prospect in the organization in his first AAA start. Uh, and Chris Davinsky is just, I mean, that's like the icing on the cake. And for Fresno, this just seemed like it was a lot of stuff that they wanted to, to cross off the list. And being able to win a AAA national championship is like a little extra that you get to add on to an already unbelievable season. And that's really cool because I think so many teams, you know, you get to the familiarity of playing in one league and playing so many of the opponents at the same time. You don't get that across leagues. It's not like Major League Baseball where there's interleague play between the PCL and the International League. So to just see these guys for the first time, it is kind of one of those rare events in sports where, you know, I mean, players obviously know each other across team lines, but Fresno and Columbus don't play. I mean, this isn't like a regular right. thing. It's just such a cool event. And, uh, and it seemed like Fresno was very, very committed to making sure that this final step was going to be accomplished. Yeah, and I think – the tagline, I mean, it, it never will be this. You can't exactly stick this on a bumper sticker or under a, a logo for a slogan or anything. But if it exists, you might as well win it. And that's, you know, anybody you talk to who plays in a game like this, you know, even in the playoffs, anything like that, you know, if, if the situation is made that you can end the year with a trophy, end something to hang your hat on, bring, bring something home, um, you might as well go out there and win it. And when you do it in the way they did it, I mean, that's – I can't imagine what it's like going going home the next day. I, I saw a picture of Davinsky carrying the uh, MVP trophy that he got for the you know for his pitching performance through the airport. You know because if you have that, you might as well show it off. It was kind of like that. I, I can't remember what the ad is for, but there's just that group going through Vegas, just holding up a trophy that ends up being a, a plant case. You know if you have it, you, if you can come up with something, um, you might as well show it off to everybody and. Something, it's a little bit of extra motivation to heading into the offseason. You know, some of these guys will be going to the fall league, like you said. Some of them will be going to the winter leagues. A lot will be going home. And, you know, you want to have those memories of a, a season well ended if you can get it. There is a lot going on in that Astros organization, and we talk about that regularly. And so many, I mean, the, the ultimate focus of minor league systems everywhere is player development, getting guys to the major leagues in the best possible fashion for themselves and for the, the big league club. But there is something to be said for organizations and teams and especially for the players themselves who learn how to win in the minor leagues. And Mark Appel tweeted out uh, after his team won, after Fresno won the, the final game of the PCL finals, uh, Quad Cities 2013 with a little ring emoji, Lancaster 2014 ring, Arizona Fall League 2014 ring, Fresno 2015. Now he could put two rings on that. And that is something – Fresno, I mean, was one of seven Astros affiliates – to make the playoffs and Kelsey who we're going to talk to in a little bit had a, a great story from El Paso earlier this week about how the Grizzlies 
are one of those emblematic teams proving that the Astros plan, this big experiment that the Astros undertook a few years ago, it works. I mean, this is putting Houston. The Houston right now is contending for a division title probably a year before everybody thought they were going to at the major league level. And all their minor league teams do is win and compete for championships. And there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, and they really have that kind of, I mean, it's a football slogan, but, you know, they have that mentality of next guy up. I mean, they just churn through guys, bring it, you know, whether it's Davinsky, whether it's A.J. Reed moving up, whether it's Francis Martez, who's climbed all the way from, you know, A ball to double A in his first full season. They, they just have this depth. Uh, you mentioned Davinsky's only the 18th ranked prospect. He showed better stuff than that last night. Uh, yeah, when you have those guys who can perform at every level and then you bring them up and you know you, you don't see a team like Fresno or Corpus Christi or you know Lancaster you don't te- see them take steps back necessarily as they bring in fresh blood and as you know any minor league team does um, we saw a couple teams that were really good in the first half you know uh, we'll talk about this later but Chattanooga you know was really really good in the first half lost some of their those really good prospects and then kind of struggled in the second half they won a championship but they you know, didn't have that same talent the second half they did the first half because it kind of dropped off like that. Houston system, it just has not been that that way this year. I mean, they could have, you can make an argument that they should have brought up A.J. Reed just to play in Fresno if, you know, they didn't already have John Singleton there who's, you know, trying to break the, the quad A mold, but is certainly a good triple A player. So, uh, you know, like Kelsey wrote about, you know, this, is, this was their design. They wanted this type of thing to happen, and now you're – starting to see the results at the major league level too you know they are slipping a little bit obviously it's well talked about all across baseball um you know they're losing their they've lost their grip on the al west but they're still a playoff team and you know for a team that would have been happy to play above 500 ball this year that you know this is a dangerous system going forward it's a dangerous system now in the minors it's a dangerous team in the majors now and it's going to be like that for the next three to five years um just because it's built so well And we do want to, of course, give our big congratulations to the Columbus Clippers on a fantastic season as well. Columbus uh, falling yesterday in the championship game, but uh, an outstanding year. The International League's West Division champions, they outlasted uh, actually their division rivals, Indianapolis, in the championship series and the Governor's Cup finals. And it's been a great year for Columbus. And I think also that's an encouraging sign for an organization that sort of needs an infusion of some life as well, because the Indians have kind of, they've fallen into a weird sort of in-between stage where there's not really, the, the major league success has come in spurts. It hasn't been extremely consistent, but they've had a lot of talent on the way as well. And, and even double a Akron was exciting. Uh, some of their class a advanced talent is very exciting. That's already moving up the ladder. I mean, guys like Clint Frazier, you know, have kind of taken their knocks who have been younger, but uh, there's been a lot of movement among those guys throughout these levels that shows they're probably going to be in Cleveland before too long as well. So Columbus, I mean... It, it obviously you leave with kind of a sting in your mouth from having a, a performance like that thrown against you yesterday. But uh, to be a team that competes over the course of a very long season in these AAA leagues, I mean, there's no first half, second half titles. The International League, they end up winning basically via tiebreakers, the same uh, record as Indianapolis at 83 and 61. But you get into the playoffs, a long playoff road, and you get an International League championship. It's a great season for Columbus, too. It'll go down with a loss in that final game, but for what they accomplished winning the international league a great year yeah and i think that you kind of hit on it there i think they're probably going to be a better team next year i mean 
a lot of their talent right now is it, or a lot of the Indians' talent right now is at that Double A, Class A, advanced level. I mean, they can certainly get to a point next year. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Bradley Zimmer, Clint Frazier are playing that that outfield out there, and Rob Kaminsky, the guy they got this year um, in a trade with the Cardinals. You know, he's been all year at High A, but he could certainly be a high mover if he proves himself at Double A, Akron. You know, to start next season. Uh, and then you just keep going down the, the list. Mike Clevenger was a guy who came up for Columbus, was a really, really good playoff pitcher after spending the entire uh, regular season at Akron. So, you know, they all the, the best talent, I think, in that system has yet to hit Columbus. And I think next year that could all kind of culminate at the same time. And, you know, it's an exciting time to be a Clippers fan. It's, it could be an exciting time to be an Indians fan if, if you're looking for hope in that system. Um, you already have some pretty good hope in Francisco Lindor. Who, uh, I, you know, you could certainly make a case for. I would make the case for AL Rookie of the Year, and uh, you know, it's it's only a matter of time before that talent hits the uh, highest level of the minors. So a big congratulations to the Fresno Grizzlies and the Columbus Clippers and, and Fresno especially for coming out with that win last night. And, again, just a, a phenomenal organization top to bottom. Ryan Young, the media relations staff over there, do a great job keeping us informed and getting us involved. The myriad of times that we have to write about Fresno, it seems like every week. Uh, so big congratulations to all of them. Uh, and one thing that's not to be lost in the shuffle in this, uh, Fresno manager Tony DeFrancesco becomes one of the very, very few managers to win AAA titles in the Pacific Coast League with two different teams. He led Sacramento uh, to a title and gets a, a win last night. And again, a guy who, you know, you talk to Tony and it's just, there's a plan for everything. And there's a, a bigger picture for everything. And he's the first one to stress, you know, the ultimate goal is for us to help the Astros win, but he knows how to mold those guys at that level. And that's what successful minor league managers do. And, uh, you know, I mean, just both of these organizations, top to bottom, really could not i mean there are crown jewels in minor league baseball and those are two of them and uh that was a fun game to watch last night too and i gotta get down to el paso because that ballpark looks really <laughs> well you should talk to kelsey about it <laughs> you all the uh the background info on what to do and what to eat and the whole ben's biz scouting report on what it's like in el paso we'll have more on that topic with our own kelsey hennigan who will join the show later probably from uh like the airport in el paso i think and uh we'll hear all about the the triple a championship game experience and with that we're going to dive into three strikes for episode number 26 of the show before the show and uh last night's champion not the only champion to be crowned throughout the world of minor league baseball since we last spoke with you in fact we've had a lot of them uh myrtle beach in the class a advanced carolina league hickory in the class a south atlantic league midland in the double a Texas League, Bowie in the AA Eastern League. Of course, the AAA champions, as we've discussed a little bit in Columbus and Fresno from the International Pacific Coast Leagues, Rancho Cucamonga in the California League, Chattanooga in the final AA League, that's the Southern League. Uh, Sam, give me uh, give me some thoughts on uh, a team that stood out to you, and congratulations to all of those winners because it's been a fun playoff season. Yeah, that was just a mouthful to think about how much, <laughs> you know, and say how many uh, champions we've kind of crowned in a one-week span. You know, a lot to catch up on. Um, you know, check out all our stuff on that if you haven't already. But uh, one team that kind of stuck out just kind of for me was the Bowie Bay Sox um, winning the their first ever Eastern League crown. Um, they, they've been in the Eastern League, I think, for, let me double-check, yeah, it's 23 years now, so this is their first championship. Uh, kind of a cool thing for the, the Bowie area people to have a trophy to claim as their own and uh you know something good for the for the Orioles system Orioles prospects around there um you know for a league that has 12 teams in it right now you would think the turnover would be pretty good and that they would have had a championship by now but uh you know now they finally get that one to call their own 
Um, guy who kind of stood out for me there was Mike Yastrzemski. Um, we get, we're coming out with a piece on uh, postseason, you know, players, their best postseason players by league, and he was our pick for the Eastern League. Uh, guy hit 406, had 10 different extra base hits, two homers, two triples, and six doubles uh, for the Bay Sox. And coming off a year in which he, you know, he, he had a big breakout year last year. Everybody likes to talk about the last name, kind of made a, a name for himself last year. Um, didn't quite do so well at the double-A level this year at a 246 average, 316 on base, 372 slugging. And then it kind of comes through, you know, in the clutch when, when the Bay Sox really needed it, um, something for him to carry into next year. And kind of a cool story with the way they clinched it. Um, you know, it was a game five against Redding, a very good Redding team, you know, with Nick Williams, J.P. Crawford, um, a bunch of other Phillies prospects and guys they got from the Rangers system there. Um, but Garibaz Rosa, who's a guy who's slowly working his way, you know, through the Orioles system, hits two homers in that game uh, for Bowie to help them get a the game five win. And you know, for uh, postseason, it, it it's a lot about teams, and you know, we like to celebrate team accomplishments there. And you know, as as much as we celebrate prospects all year, it's pretty cool to see um, a team like Bowie get their first Eastern League title. Um, and as you can see on a lot of the pictures, both for particularly the one we have on their story. Um, on the site right now, just the excitement, you know, surrounding the team, the water bottles going off, all all that stuff. That's what the postseason is all about. No matter where you are, what level, what league, what sport you're playing. So that that was what kind of stood out for me. What about for you, Todd? You know, I really thought that the Chattanooga Lookouts um, kind of stood out as the the team of the postseason to me because that city obviously has been through a lot this year, and right. um, we know that the uh, the Lookouts were kind of an outlet for that team or for that city um, as a, a distraction, obviously from the the shooting in Chattanooga this summer. We know they did the hat exchange and kind of a, a charity um, tie in together with the Charleston River Dogs, and you know things that you don't ever want any team to have to deal with anywhere. Uh, but sports are a distraction. Sports are a escapism and sports help people to get through difficult times because it gives you that little breath that little time where you can escape in chattanooga that city needed something like that and the lookouts provided that for them and for them to end their season with a title their first southern league title since 1988 they've lost in three championship series since then by the way finally able to pull one off they were swept last year when they were a dodgers affiliate they get it done this year as a twins affiliate was really really cool and uh again i mean it's it's not the traditional uh, or conventional reason why a team impresses you most but um chattanooga's second half was not very good i mean this is a team that really took off obviously in the first half with byron buxton and miguel sano and some of the top prospects that they had there to start the year but the second half they finished four teams down in the standings they're in fourth place out of a five-team division and to come back and do what they did in the postseason stick it out get a, a game five series win uh over biloxi a team that had a ton of momentum momentum and has a ton of talent really showed me a lot about chattanooga and uh you know i mean from things like doug mccavage managing the class a advanced fort myers miracle to a championship last season in the florida state league and then doing it this year with a lot of the same guys in the southern league in chattanooga was really cool what impressed me i think the most about chattanooga is that they did it without a whole lot of huge contributions from their biggest guys max kepler it felt like hit about 800 in the in the playoffs because most of his hits were homers max kepler only batted 188 in the postseason it was really two former red sox prospects and guys who aren't really prospects uh in the conventional sense i mean in the top prospect sense of the word anymore and hecker manessis and shannon wilkerson really carried that team manessis batted 273 uh 
was a, a pretty good member uh, of this lineup throughout his entirety of his playoff stay over nine games. Shannon Wilkerson's a bit of an older guy, but nine games for him, he batted 303. Um, this team as a whole had a 616 OPS and a 212 team average in the postseason. They only scored 36 runs uh, in nine games. I shouldn't say only. I mean, that's not terrible because postseason baseball is always tough, but the pitching staff was there. The pitching staff was phenomenal the entire time through. Uh, and to see what, you know, Jason Wheeler's able to do to come out in relief in the final game and close out a win last night uh, and seeing that celebration video with how elated that crowd was and the way that team celebrated, I thought was a very, very cool thing for Chattanooga. So congratulations to all these champions. Those ones kind of stood out to us, but man, we had a lot of really good series too. I mean, it wasn't just, you know, a couple of series that went the distance and a whole lot of other duds. There were some really good series throughout. Yeah, definitely. We, uh, on Monday, you know, we had a couple of game fives. Normally the way the schedule kind of works out and the way a lot of these finals work out, you know, that you, uh, you get a day off or two between, you know, where a lot of playoffs end and where the AAA national championship starts. But we were running right up against that, um, with, with, uh, West Michigan winning and Chattanooga winning Monday night, taking their crowns. Um, so yeah, they, I mean, every series was packed with a lot of different things. Um, yeah, they certainly kept us busy and, uh, yeah, it, going, like I said, going right up until that, uh, triple A championship. Let's talk about, uh, for strike two, one of the games we were just discussing, sort of. The Southern League Championship game on Monday night ended with the Chattanooga Lookouts getting a win, but it ended with two guys personally getting gigantic wins in their careers. Max Kepler and Jorge Lopez both get the call to the big leagues right after the final game of their 2015 minor league season. Kepler had a home run in game five, hit three home runs over the course of the postseason, and has been a terror throughout the entirety of the 2015 season. Southern League MVP. Uh, Jorge Lopez uh, of the Biloxi Shuckers, the Southern League Pitcher of the Year. Very good season. Not a great final performance from him, but a guy who the, the Brewers really have a lot of faith in as he continues to grow. That's some pretty awesome news. To, I mean, maybe even more so for Lopez. Your team goes out and takes a really brutal loss, and it's, all right, it's okay, kid. You're going up to the show. I mean, that's pretty cool for both those guys. Yeah, I can't remember which player tweeted. I don't think it was Lopez himself, but there was, I think, six different guys were sent from Biloxi to the majors right after their loss yesterday. And there was a picture of them in an elevator just all going, you know, on the, I think it was in the airport going to Milwaukee. And they were just all smiling from ear to ear. You know, you, you take the sting right out of that loss. And uh, congratulations, you're going to the show and getting on the biggest stage. Uh, for Kepler, it's kind of, you know, let the good times roll. You know, you help your team, like you said, win a net, uh, championship, Southern League title. And uh, keep on playing, keep on moving. He's not necessarily going to get too much playing time right now in the uh, Twins packed outfield. We talked about Buxton before. They've got plenty of other guys, Torrey Hunter, Aaron Hicks, a couple of other guys out there. Um, but, you know, they, he is rewarded for what you said, like you said, was a very, very good season for him. 322 average, OBP above 400. Guy hit 32 doubles, nine homers, 18 steals. This was really a breakout season for a guy who, you know, before the season was just kind of a novelty in that he came from Germany. And, you know, wouldn't it be cool to have a German-born player in, in the majors um, and now we're going to get to see that, and he's going to get a little bit of taste of this. And, you know, he'll probably be starting out the year next year, AAA Rochester. But, you know, if he shows a little something here, that he'll definitely get a call to big league spring training next spring. Um, this is a guy who's definitely worked on his swing this year. I know uh, Jake did a stock watch on him back in July, early, early July, um, and talked about how the, the guys at Chattanooga were just making him more aggressive, trying to get him to pull the ball a little more. He's aiming a lot towards left center. Um, and once he kind of went away from that, um, was more aggressive, that's when you saw the numbers start to pop. 
so for Kepler, it's, you know, it's a very exciting opportunity for him to just get that taste. And like I said, he might, he might not be called up again until mid next year if they can find a place for him, but you know, to get that taste and, and to get that, uh, you just have that novelty of that, you know, a German born guy in the majors will be definitely an interesting storyline to, to watch here. And uh, obviously across the season, I'm sure they will be, uh, following him over there as well should be really cool um i mean you know donald lutz has uh, been up in the big leagues but it's kind of a different story he was an american right. born kid who went over to germany and um you know major league baseball is expanding those frontiers so much in europe is is a kind of an untapped market maybe an undertapped market it's not totally untapped but yeah that'll be a really cool uh, extra dimension so congratulations to those guys on their promotions to the big leagues and not a bad way to uh finish out your 2015 minor league season and uh sam is going to take us through again which i think i say every week but if you haven't checked out sam's tool shed stuff uh go read it because it's some of the best stuff that we have up on the site regularly and lewis brinson is the topic uh the triple a round rock express star of late uh, and a Texas Rangers prospect who is one of those sky's the limit kind of guys. Um, tell us about Lewis Brinson, Sam. Yeah, and this was uh, just kind of something I, I was looking through, trying to come up with something for Toolshed, and just kind of got latched onto his story. Just you know, we've talked you know at length on the site and on the podcast too about how kind of a quick riser he's been this year. Um, started out the year in high desert and was doing what a lot of people do in high desert, and he was hitting in bunches. You know, had a three thirty seven average there, 13 homers in 64 games. The guy was certainly producing. And then you start to ask the questions, okay, he can do it in the Cal League. Can he do it other places? Um, and, you know, they sent him to Frisco, and he, he did it there as well. He had a 291, 873 OPS. And then, you know, when I got to talk to him, I asked him, so you, you spent a month in Texas League, and they already call you up to, to AAA. What was that like? Because, you know, they wanted him to help out Round Rock, who, you know, like we Obviously, at this point, it fell to uh, Fresno in the PCL finals, um, but they wanted him there to for the part of the playoff push. You know, after starting the year at High A, they thought he was ready for that challenge, um, and he and he certainly showed it. He even said it was a surprise himself; didn't exactly expect that to come. You know, the normal progression is you do well at a level, you get called up, and then you stay there for a prolonged uh, period of time. Especially when you're somebody like him; he's 21. You know, was a first round pick back in 2012. Um, but for him, you know, this was, you know, going through all this, it was certainly a breakout season for him. Um, only one of a handful of guys who had an OPS above a thousand in the major leagues or in the minor leagues, excuse me, um, hit 20 homers, 18 stolen bases, you know, was showing power, was showing speed, was everything you read about him defensively is glowing. And I, I really wanted to get into how he went from, you know, a guy who back in 2013 was hitting just 237 in Hickory. You know, as a youngster, obviously, he was still a teenager back then, but what happened in between? And he said it really came down to, to confidence. Um, you know, he, he was a first-round pick. He knew he had that confidence in himself. He knew, you know, the Rangers had a little bit of confidence in him that they could send him to full-season ball, you know, in his first full year in the system a year after he was drafted. Um, but then he that kind of took a hit when he, you know, like I said, it was hitting in the low 200s. He struck out 191 times in 447 at-bats. Um, you know, was swinging and missing a lot and wasn't quite understanding what was going on. And you kind of learned that he was losing that confidence in him himself a little bit. Um, and, you know, the, the more he went about it the, going into his second year, he kind of realized, you know, and, and at bat's not over um, just because I'm down 0-2. You know, I still need to be aggressive. I still need to, you know, be looking to hit the ball get and just make contact because for somebody with him like him, um, 
you know, he, he's got that speed and he's got certainly that bat on ball ability, that smooth swing where if he makes contact, it's going to be loud contact. And even if it's not loud contact, he can steal a couple of hits with his uh, speed. Um, let me just make sure I get the numbers right here. But uh, with his BABIP numbers, I mean, this guy produces a BABIP, which is batting average of balls in play of 375. So if he can get that ball into the, the field somehow, there's a pretty good chance, certainly better than others who were normal BABIP numbers are around the 300s. Um, you know, he's going to get on base and, you know, rack up these hits like he's been doing this year. Um, so, yeah, it was just all about kind of talking in confidence with him. And once he figured out that approach that, you know, I still need to be aggressive even when I'm down the count, don't worry about the strikeouts. That's when the strikeouts began to fall and that's when the hits started to come in. Um, and I, one thing I talked to him about was, you know, now you have expectations. Now you're a top 100 guy. I think he's in the 60s right now um, in terms of overall prospects. Uh, he's number 68 according to MLB.com. Uh, you know, there are expectations. A lot of people expect him to be, you know, the starting center fielder for the Rangers at some point, even as they try to figure out their own outfield issues right now at the major league level. Um, the, the season he's putting up is going to start putting expectations on. And then, you know, what if he doesn't meet those expectations? Or is he going to worry about his confidence? And he kind of gave me the money quote, which was, uh, you know, the only person I worry about pleasing is myself and my mother, um, which was great because then he uh, – he said his mom finally got to watch him all this year because she finally figured out how to use the MILB app, which, <laughs> which is great because I got to link to that in a quote. Um, so we got to push the. That's a rarity. I mean, that's like a that's a big winner for a minor league writer to be able to link to the app in a quote. Yeah, it, it's, it's a big pushing one for us. The, it's it's pushing the product without um, having to do it myself. I swear. <laughs> Hashtag have, branding. Yeah, branding. Yeah, you know, we're feeding the brand. Um, <laughs> I did not feed that to him. He brought it up himself. So I was like, that's. That's perfect. Um, but yeah, he, this is a guy, he's, he's not worried about the expectations that are coming upon himself. He's confident where he is now. He's probably going to get a, a call to Major League Spring Training and could be one of those guys that, you know, the Rangers, you know, we saw it a couple of years ago with Jackie Bradley with the Red Sox. You know, if you have a really good spring, teams aren't necessarily going to be scared to throw you into the fire. And, you know, with this year of the prospect, you know, the Rangers could certainly fall into line with that for him. And uh, given the way he's hit at every level, I mean, even in Round Rock, I think it was Friday night he hit two homers in a game. He's, his skill set is just translating everywhere. Um, so between offense, like I said, the defense that has earned raves, um, he's certainly going to be one to watch. And I, I expect he'll be even higher than 68 when uh, MLB.com updates it this, the, their rankings this offseason. So go check it out. The Toolshed column is up at MILB.com right now. Coming up next, we're going to rehash last night's 2015 AAA All-Star Game from El Paso, Texas. Kelsey Hennigan joins the show for the first time. Calling in from the El Paso airport right now where the uh, AAA National Championship took place last night is making her uh, – podcast debut with us is Kelsey Hennigan. How's it going, Kelsey? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me, Sam. Yeah, so uh, like I said, this is your podcast debut. A pretty good time to make one, considering you were at the AAA National Championship game last night with Fresno beating Columbus in that game uh, yesterday. Just kind of describe what the, the scene was like and uh, you know, obviously what stood out to, to everybody who was there, everybody who watched on TV on NBC Sports was the performance of Chris Devensky. So what did you see out of him? Oh, yeah. First of all, it was just a pretty crazy game because obviously in baseball you don't have a one-game playoff too often, um, and everyone's pretty stoked about winning their individual league. But it's 
you could tell they still really wanted to win this game, and it was still a pretty special thing for even the El Paso fans, too. And even at the end, they got into it, and they were really chanting PCL for Fresno. Um, so they really got into it. Um, but, yeah, like you said, Devensky was clearly the star. He was named the MVP after carrying a perfect game into the sixth inning. Um, and I was talking to the manager, DeFrancesco, after the game, and the word he just kept reiterating was dominant. And really, that's what he was. I and mean, he didn't walk anybody in seven innings. Uh, his changeup was especially outstanding and notable. But really, it's just the command and control. Just looking at the stats after the game, he threw, I think, 15 balls in seven innings. So it was pretty amazing. Yeah, and just kind of looking at uh, your story, you, know, you, you wrote a recap in the sidebar on the, on the game. Um, he had a kind of cool quote from Tony Kemp, Astros prospect, who said, uh, we call him the dragon. We call him that nickname because every time he goes out there, he's fearless and he believes in himself. Um, how could you kind of see that out of Devensky in, in obviously what was a very, one of the biggest starts of his career, if not the biggest start of his career? Yeah, just talking to him uh, the day before, this was also his first AAA start. He made a couple of relief appearances uh, against Round Rock in the championship series. But this was his first start, and he didn't seem nervous at all. He seemed pretty calm. Um, I asked him about handling pressure, and he said that um, that adversity either breaks men or it makes men break records, and he wanted to break records. And he's already thrown no-hitter in his career, and here he was almost throwing a perfect game in one of the biggest games of the year. And uh, kind of describe to us what the scene was like afterwards. I mean, it, like you said, a lot of the times we like to focus on the league championships, and you know, this is the one time where – leagues at the same level kind of come together. So, you know, it, it's more or less a glorified exhibition, but they are playing for a trophy. So what was that scene like when the, the Grizzlies did win and, you know, clinch that AAA national championship? Yeah. You could definitely tell that they, they did want this. And as soon as that last uh, out was made, the pop-up to the catcher, they all just ran out. And there's, at first they were tackling each other and throwing water bottles at each other at home plate, and then it moved to uh, the mound when they were just hugging and cheering and chanting. Um, and you could tell when they were waiting for the trophy presentations and all the speeches afterwards, they were, like, kissing the trophies. You could tell they were just ready for that big celebration back in the locker room with the champagne and the beer and all the fun stuff. So they they definitely were itching for this last celebration of the year. You didn't catch any of it yourself. Did you even get any uh, spray back from champagne or anything? <laughs> no, I didn't. But uh, just talking to Davinsky after the game, he he had to take his shirt off because it was drenched in champagne. But even just walking <laughs> out, you could just he just smelled like champagne. And walking by the clubhouse afterwards, there's just like this big waft of of celebration and winning, really. Yeah, there you go. It's the smell of victory, I guess. Yes. Uh, just kind of moving on to a, a sidebar you wrote for us. You know, the the win meant a little something extra to Grizzlies manager Tony DiFrancesco. Um, you know, a guy who was diagnosed with cancer, I think, last spring training not this year but the one before that um you know what what did this championship mean to him and what, what was it like talking to him about that um, whole process yeah he uh, like you said he was diagnosed in spring training of last year but he only sat out two months about um to go through treatments and to recuperate and then he was back on the field because just asked just talking to him about it, he was just like i was itching to get back i couldn't i couldn't not do it so he fought his way back he was pitchers coaching last year and then he came back this year again and just winning the PCL first of all he said he was pretty choked up after that because it just meant that he was back after battling for so long and then to win this he um 
he won the Brooktown Showdown, which was the original AAA National Championship a few years ago. So he's now um, one of only two managers to win the National Championship twice. Um, and huge thing how special it was to be back. And also that he said that because he is back and he is back to motivating players and competing, which are the two things that he loves most, that he feels like he has his edge back after all that he's battled. Yeah, and we were kind of talking before this about how you said he, he seemed, kind of seemed over-talking about it. I mean, it, it's been a year, obviously. I'm sure he's talked about it with plenty of people. Um, but how is that kind of a good sign and that he did want to, you know, he did move past this and is part of his past. It's not so much part of his present anymore. Yeah, even um, after he came back last year, he had a day or two to talk about it with his players and with the media. And then afterwards he said, I'm done, like, let's talk about baseball. So he was ready then. I think now um, it kind of got stirred up because the emotions of really being back and getting that trophy really um, solidified his coming back. But I think that yeah, he is ready to move on because obviously it was an unfortunate thing, but it's not something that he wants to dwell on. It's, he wants to focus on um, continuing to motivate players. Right. And I mean, at that level, that's what it really is about. I mean, it's player development and motivation for guys because you know you're just at a stepping stone trying to get them to that level. So that was a really good story. You get a chance, everybody who's listening at home or wherever you are, just check out that story on Tony DiFrancesco that Kelsey did after the AAA National Championship game. And I kind of want to touch on something you wrote about beforehand. Um, you know, you got to talk to a couple of the Grizzlies at a media day there the day before. And the big takeaway there was just kind of how, you know, all the winning that's happened in the Astro system, we talked about on the podcast before, we talked about it on the site, um, you know, is starting to, you know, show itself at the minor league level with all those teams making the playoffs and obviously the Grizzlies winning PCL and AAA championship. Um, how much are the players kind of buying into the Houston system and, you know, working with what is the Astros plan to make with obviously been a, a system that's working for them? Yeah, they really are. Um just talking to Tony Kemp when, when he was saying that when he was at spring training this year, he was noticing all of the big league players and all the Houston guys and the manager Hinch just really buying into the idea that the Astros are here and they've been working towards this for a long time and here it's finally happening and, and Tony Kemp could see it and it made him believe in himself more and believe in the idea more. Um, obviously like we've been, we've been hearing about the Astros building as an organization for years and Fresno winning this title, I think, really solidifies them being here. They've been winning at the lower levels for a while. I think Mark Appel tweeted a photo of all the rings he has in emoji form, of course. Right, yeah. And it, but <laughs> it, it didn't mean anything because necessarily because it was at lower minor league levels. And now here they are winning Fresno's first title and winning an Astros' first affiliated AAA title in a while. And obviously Houston's making a playoff run too so it really shows that they've really they've made it yeah and speaking of that appeal tweet, i was just looking at that myself you know quad cities 2013 lancaster 2014 afl 2014 fresno 2015 for appeal um you know when you were talking to him did it feel i mean i hate to put it this way does it, but does it almost feel old for him winning at, at all these levels or you know, has it gotten to the point where he expects to win a championship wherever he goes? I mean, he obviously had an up and down individual career, but with every team he's on, he keeps winning like this. So how does he kind of react? Is it just, you know, does it still have that fire with him, or is it still, you know, I expect this to happen? Yeah, no, I think he's a pretty competitive person. So 
like most baseball players are, especially someone at his caliber. So I don't think that it will ever get old for him, but he definitely seemed that he's just enjoying the ride that it's been. Like you said, he has had an up-and-down personal career, but to have it all come together at the end of the year as a team, I think, is what has been really important for him. Yeah, and, and just before we let you go here, I know you got a flight to catch and you're coming back to the East Coast from El Paso, but uh, I saw one of your tweets last night about how you know the El Paso crowd was kind of joining in in the PCL chant. Um, you know, what was the crowd like? I know you know it, it, it's at a neutral site, it's you know not really close to Fresno or Columbus. You know, tougher maybe fan, local fans to get into the game, but uh, you know, 9,000 plus fans were there. Uh, what was this team like amongst the crowd? Yeah, they were really into it. Um, you could tell it, it seemed like they were cheering more for Fresno at times, but not in a bad way, but that's just because Fresno had all of the hits, and Fresno also had Devensky, who was not allowing any hits. So they had the big moments for the cheers, but I think that the fans were pretty um, – equal uh, rooting for both teams. The times that they really cheered were for Adam Moore of Columbus, though, because he was on El Paso last year. So the fans really remembered him and embraced him. So they got really excited for him. But like I said, at the end of the game, the PCL chance started breaking out, um, and they didn't care that Fresno was a team that eliminated El Paso. They were just happy that their league won, and so they were pretty excited. And a lot of them stayed behind afterwards to watch the trophy presentation and to watch the players celebrate. All right, great. Well, uh, thank you, Kelsey, for joining the podcast. I hope this has been a good first experience for you. Um, you know, rolling into the off season, we'll have more, you know, more from all our writers you know, across as we uh, go into the off season with Oregon All Stars and AFL coverage and all of that. So, this is your first time. I'm sure it won't be your last. But uh, again, check out all Kelsey stuff on on the website about uh, the AAA National Championship or stuff about the Fresno recap. With a sidebar, like I said, about Tony DeFrancesco, stuff on the Grizzlies and the Columbus Clippers. And you can follow Kelsey on Twitter at Kelsey underscore Hennigan. Um, she has a lot of her stuff, a lot of pictures from the, the AAA National Championship game and a lot of other good content you can follow her there for. So thank you, Kelsey, for joining and uh, safe travel back. All right. Thanks, Steph. See you in New York. With the minor league baseball 2015 season behind us, uh, topics that are still brewing are reaching somewhat of a fever pitch in certain markets, and we wanted to bring in – oh, man, we're going to talk about a Red Sox segment. I just used the term fever pitch. Whew, look uh, at that baseball geez. synergy. I uh, thought you hated Jimmy Fallon. I do, and I hate that movie. So there we go. <laughs> but Benjamin Hill joins us. Uh, hey, Ben. Hi. So you have a couple of stories up on the site this week about the Pawtucket Red Sox and where they could be headed next. We have just a few times in the show been able to sort of break some news, and there is some breaking news about this situation. I'll quote from BallparkDigest.com, quote, a proposed downtown Providence waterfront ballpark is dead as the Pawtucket Red Sox ownership informs state leaders that they'll search for another Rhode Island site and staying at McCoy Stadium isn't an option. Now, Ben's columns up on, on the site right now um, discuss a lot about what it means for the Paw Sox as a franchise going forward with these movements in place. I mean, this looks like a thing that is for sure going to happen. And I guess where we are now with this new news is that 
we're not really entirely sure what that will mean if this Providence site is dead. Now, Ben spoke with Jeff White, who's a Red Sox executive. The official title of his position is financial advisor to the CEO. And there is a very lengthy conversation with Mr. White up on the site right now. Ben, just kind of give us a sense of what's going on around the situation. Yeah, you, you summarized it a little bit there. Uh, we could talk about this for hours. Um, you know, the new ownership headed by, uh, you know, Larry Lucchino and, uh, is that how you say it? Lucchino. 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 You know, it's I, tricky I, because he has both the two C's and the H in I, I write that name so often and I so rarely say it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the, the Paw Sox new ownership led by Larry Lucchino um, clearly wants to bring them to Providence. When I was in Pawtucket, I spoke to Jeff White, as you mentioned. Um, they have a lot of rationale for why they want to do that. Uh, for why they feel it's best for the state in the long term, for why they feel Pawtucket is not a viable model um, in, in the long term, you know, to, to support AAA baseball in the, in the long term. Uh, I think they make some good points, but there's been a lot of opposition, a lot of uh, problems with using any public money for something like this, especially in the wake of Kurt Schilling's 38 Studios uh, turning into a debacle. Rhode Island has a very low tolerance for public money on anything. And uh, there's just a general skepticism that this is to line the pockets of already rich people as opposed to what's best for the baseball fans in Rhode Island. Now, as a result of the opposition, as a result of uh, funding that is it going to be unattainable, as a result of uh, maybe not getting all the land they needed for their proposed ballpark site, um, they've now scrapped the original Providence location, downtown urban waterfront, uh, right off 195. And so now it's, can they get another site in Providence? Uh, how much longer will they be in Pawtucket? Will outside markets outside the state of Rhode Island that might be more amenable to public funding uh, of some sort step in, your uh, Woosters and uh, Springfields of the world? Uh, it, this is going to go on and on. And, and visiting Pawtucket was interesting just to be able to get the team perspective and the ownership perspective and also talk to the fans and also to visit that stadium, McCoy Stadium myself, in order to get a sense of uh, why that is a special place in so many people's hearts. Yeah, and you kind of did a kind of cool call and response this week with the, the farms pieces. Um, you know, you talked to White, like you said, but then you also just kind of sat in McCoy and got to hear some of the perspective of the fans. And just the, the way you wrote it was really interesting in that you posed a question to one fan and everybody in the section kind of erupted with their own opinions. Um, what were those opinions that they were talking about? And what, how dear is McCoy to their kind of hearts? Yeah, I, I you know have a lengthy Q and A up uh, with the ownership side, and I knew I wanted to have something about the opposition um, explained as well. My problem is I'm only visiting these stadiums for one day, and sometimes it's hard to uh, line up everything I need to do to make it as uh, in depth as I'd like. But I wanted to do something with the opposition. I was talking to a pair of longtime season ticket holders. I just kind of asked that question, uh, what do you guys think about the move to Providence? And the whole section around me erupted, and I kind of got an accidental story out of that because I do believe that what they were telling me speaks to the opposition as a whole, um, which is, one, don't spend public money on this. If uh, you're rich enough to buy the team, you're rich enough to pay for a ballpark. There are some people in Rhode Island who can't afford to even go to minor league baseball. Don't make their tax dollars go toward uh, you know, minor league baseball and subsidizing that. And that seems to be a, a sentiment that's growing throughout throughout every sport in every community. I mean, that's definitely not, like you said, it's kind of heightened in Rhode Island because of what they went through with the public money for Kurt Schilling studio, but that is definitely a growing sentiment nationally too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's always going to be in the back burner with any public funding. I think there are arguments that 
that say there is a uh, you know residual benefit to the community in, in, in investing in it publicly, but you have a lot of opposition to to overcome, and for good reason. You know, people are, are rightfully skeptical of uh, where their tax dollars are going, not just in relation to minor league baseball stadiums. And then with McCoy, you know, this stadium is seventy some years old, and people have grown up there, and their uh, parents took them to games, their grandparents took them to games, and. Um, it's a region with a deep baseball history, and it's a unique ballpark, um, and people just don't want to give that up. So I got that sense too that as much as they're against the public funding, as much as they're against, uh, you know, they're worried about parking in Providence, uh, you know, worried about the traffic, worried about safety. I feel like a lot of the arguments that fans are making are—I uh, don't want to say a cover, but they're, the intensity of these arguments is maybe exacerbated by just how much they love McCoy. So they're going to argue everything they can more vociferously because McCoy means so much because it's so ingrained in their own baseball experience and it would just be so sad to, to let that go. One of the things that you kind of encounter in a situation like this that's a rarity compared to a lot of places elsewhere in minor league baseball is we've seen a lot of classic ballparks go by and be replaced and some communities have been upset. But we've talked over the last few weeks about how entrenched in Red Sox mania, the entire Red Sox culture, that whole region is. And for the non-Boston area of that, the epicenter is McCoy Stadium. The Paw Sox are that. And so I think the intensity that surrounds it is so much more heightened and it's so much louder because that fan base is a lot more intense and a lot more wide-ranging in that region. And the fact that it's a triple-A team in a pretty large market with a very storied history. You know, I mean, you didn't hear this necessarily to the same extent about Grayson Stadium in Savannah. Sure, there were people who were upset, obviously, but it wasn't quite the, the mass story that I think it is in Pawtucket. Do you know of a situation, Ben, that would really compare to this? I mean, especially now that it seems entrenched 100%, because I think for a time there was, well, is there a way that this ownership group can work with McCoy can there be a scenario that keeps the Paw Sox here? Now it seems like they're entrenched in no doubt getting this team out of that facility. Well, that's what the ownership group wants to do for sure. There is definitely a renewed, uh, you know, governmental, uh, you know, approach to let's take a fresh look at McCoy. There is apparently the ownership has done a feasibility study on whether or not renovations to McCoy would make sense, but they've kept it under wraps so far, and that's made the opposition angry, saying, well, don't tell us it'll cost $65 million to renovate it if you can't even show us the figures, and back and forth and back and forth. Um, but it's like you said, there's so much intensity around this. It is, in a way, a more amped-up version of what we just went through in Connecticut with New Britain leaving for Hartford next season. It's the same sort of thing. A... Uh, older stadium in a comparably smaller city moving a very short distance or potentially moving a very short distance, but that spurring a lot of emotions because while the distance is short, the overall baseball atmosphere is very changed and people who become attached to the more old-fashioned baseball atmosphere really don't want to let, want to let that go. But it's like you mentioned in Savannah, Grayson Stadium, that, that stadium has been around for almost 90 years in some capacity or another. And we didn't hear, on a national perspective, the anger that they're leaving or all that much sadness. I'm sure people were sad. Um, and I think it's good to remember that as much emotion as the Pawtucket to Providence situation has stirred, you're still only in that situation talking about moving to a neighboring town. I do sometimes think a little perspective is needed. You're not losing your team completely. And uh, that doesn't mean people shouldn't care or shouldn't be upset but there still will be minor league baseball in your area. Don't forget that. 
Well, one thing, too, that you kind of touched on, I think it was the kicker in your fans piece, was, um, you know, they talked about, look at Fenway. And, you know, New Englanders are kind of a nostalgic bunch. And when they have Fenway up the road, which was supposed to be torn up and, you know, built built something else new inside the city a decade ago, um, and they, they figured out a way to renovate that, they, they begin to think, why not us at McCoy? And, you know, why can't this stay, especially when they're sitting in the seats like that? Um, but to kind of pivot to something else you re- recently wrote, staying within Red Sox Nation, um, you know, you wrote about a pitcher in the Red Sox system, Mike McCarthy, and his kind of charitable work and how kind of honest and sincere he seems with it. Um, what can you tell us about Mike? Yeah, Mike McCarthy, this is the this is the last uh, sort of on-the-road MILB.com piece I've written uh, this season. I've exhausted my content, even though the blog will go forever. Um, but this story came out today. We were talking on Tuesday. And it's about Portland Sea Dogs pitcher Mike McCarthy, who's involved with an organization called Baseball Miracles, who I've gotten to know through the last couple of years. It was founded by a White Sox scout named John Taminia. And their mission is to teach baseball in um, to disadvantaged, to poverty-stricken children around the world. And they've done trips to uh, various regions in uh, Ireland, in uh, to orphanages in South Africa. They've uh, gone to some Indian reservations, I believe in the Dakotas. Um, I know Alaska is on their agenda. They're going to Kenya next month. Uh, so a really wide-ranging grassroots effort to spread the game of baseball globally and to do it on, you know, on a comparative shoestring budget. And Mike McCarthy, uh, pitcher, he met John Taminia just because Taminia was at one of the games in which he was pitching. Taminia was there scouting. They made a connection. And Mike McCarthy has now gone on two global baseball miracle excursions. He's going on two more this offseason to Kenya and Honduras. Uh, Throughout the season, he collects uh, gear from his teammates to donate to these uh, to these kids when he does go on these global missions. He's organized equipment drives at the stadium for fans to bring things. Uh, Just a really genuine guy who, uh, you know, his mission to be a volunteer and to put others first, you know, isn't just lip service, isn't just, you know, checking off a box for X amount of community service hours because he's a ball player. A really genuine guy who I enjoyed talking to and uh, doing some great work out there, and I'm I'm happy to promote it a little bit. Uh, Mike McCarthy, Portland Sea Dogs, and uh, Baseball Miracles. It's a really, really cool story. Actually, I saw Baseball Ireland uh, just tweeted out a link to it a short time ago as well. So it's already kind of you know, taken off among the uh, the international baseball community, people who have already read this story and checked it out. So go on to MILB.com and check out that story as well. And uh, Benjamin Hill, with uh, all of your offseason pertinent news and information as well, it's good to talk to you, man. Well, uh, obviously, I mean, this shows we're going to have no dearth of topics over the offseason, so we'll be doing it again soon. Yeah, there will be no dearth. That's the new motto for the show. <laughs> no dearth. And, uh, yeah, I'll talk to you guys next week from Columbus, site of the Minor League Baseball promotional seminar. Sounds terrific, Ben. We'll talk to you then. Benjamin Hill is on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. You can follow him there. You can follow the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. With uh, the final game of the 2015 minor league baseball season in the books, we are wrapping up the very first season of the show before the show podcast. Uh, 26 episodes, three hosts, four when you count Ben because he's <laughs> a mainstay. Uh, and we've had a whole pile of fun this year. This has been awesome. Yeah, no. And the good thing is we don't exactly have to wrap it up either. I mean, yeah, exactly. Keep this going into the off season, and uh, you'll still hear from us mostly every week, if not every week. And uh, 
yeah, the, the fun won't stop just because the season has. Absolutely. We'll be checking in with you throughout the offseason. Uh, as you heard, Benjamin Hill, he's going to be in Columbus for the promo seminar, and the the winter meetings are coming up in like 12 minutes. And uh, so we're going to have <laughs> stuff for you to uh, to listen to and mull over in your noggin as the offseason gets rolling along as well. And we're just a few weeks away from the start of the Arizona Fall League. Instructional leagues have already started uh, in Florida and in Arizona. So you know that it's uh, everything is drawing a little bit closer toward – uh eventually it'll be pitchers and catchers reporting and that's what we all hang on to during winter time anyway so yeah when it's the the coldest day and it's 20 degrees here feels like negative (laughs) five even colder where you are in denver i think we'll uh we'll just keep muttering to ourselves those february dates and feel a little warmer inside but we're going to have a lot of cool stuff coming up over the offseason. And uh, we, again, we'll be checking in with Ben next week from the promo preview or the promo seminar from the promo preview. We'll just be doing a promo <laughs> preview for 2016. No, we'll check in with Ben from Columbus and uh, we'll talk to you guys about uh, some of the finishing touches in this 2015 regular season because just because the games are over doesn't mean that the moves are over and more prospects still headed to the big leagues just as of this week. Uh, we've seen a lot of that. And uh, so there's going to be a lot to talk about as the offseason gets started. So uh, until then, thanks for tuning in throughout the 20. 15 season and uh, we'll talk to you then okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.